welcome to the Traffle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcie. Our guest today is the founder, CEO of Slip and Slide Records, Ted Lucas. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming through. I'm excited for this, especially because of what you've built and how you've built your business. But I want to go back. Let's go back to the beginning. 1994, you start Slip and Slide Records. Why did you want to start a record label? Hey, man, I was uh, one of the kids from the inner city that knew they were going to make it to the NFL for football. You know, I get to college and I realize everybody ain't going to the NFL. So I'm sitting in my college dorm room and just saying, man, what do you like to do? So you got to find your passion and what you like to do. And uh, sitting there in my college dorm room, I realized, like, man, I got to figure out something that I want to do and enjoy every day in life. And music was it. But I realized, now I can't rap. I can't sing. How can I get into the music business? So you got to find your it and your way in. And uh, one thing I knew, I knew talent when I see it. So I decided to come in and just help some artists get their career off the ground. I, I found some people that probably didn't believe in themselves, but I believed in them more than they believed in themselves. And I seen something in them. Came home from college, man, and just said, hey, that's what I'm going to do. And no experience, no nothing. And hit the ground running. It's not about four or five artists that wasn't good. That was my initiation into the game. You know, you have to go through that. As I'm doing that, you keep getting around more talent and you're like, oh, that's it right now. That's the one that's going to work. So that's how it came about, man. Was that one Trick Daddy? Yeah, so it was a couple of them before Trick. Trick was the main one that kicked it off, but I started the record company with Trick Daddy brother, Hollywood. Rest in peace to Hollywood. He passed through the struggle trying to make this happen. I made a promise during the time when Hollywood passed, Trick Daddy was incarcerated. And back then, you can pay for someone to come home from prison and I allowed him to come home and I paid for the guards and everybody to bring him home. And while we sitting there during this time, I told him, man, if you can stay out of trouble, I will take every dollar I got and fulfill what your brother's seen in you. Because his brother, Hollywood, is the one that seen that Trick really had the talent. I'm not going to lie. He always bragged on his brother. He knew what he had the capability to do. And I think he believed in Trick more than Trick believed in himself, to tell you the truth. Definitely. So Trick was the one that kicked it off. But before Trick came home from prison, I probably had about four or five artists before that. And one was some kids that uh, went to high school with me and, they sound good when we was in high school, but we got out there and test that real world. People ain't really like the records like that. So those didn't work, but Trick was the one that kicked down the doors and took it to a whole nother level. That's what's up. And through Trick's rise, we're able to also see you develop Slip and Slide into a independent label that was strong. I mean, I remember reading the stories, you were selling out of your car trunk, going to flea market, doing the whole bit, and you stayed independent all throughout. What was that process like? I'm sure you were probably hit up about doing different deals or different opportunities. So you listen, man, you know, being from down south, we don't have the opportunity like California or New York where you can go to a major label and take your demo or go have meetings with everybody. We call it getting out the mud down here. So we had to go in and create that buzz, you know what I'm saying, and make a demand for it and make people want to come sit down and talk to us. Like I said, we couldn't go and say, hey, you got this great record, give us a record deal. But what it allowed me to do is be an entrepreneur, man. It allowed me to be that businessman. I take my head off to people like Luther Campbell. I seen Luke do it, and he opened up doors for us in here in South Florida. And I seen people like Jay Prince. I done rap a lot. How they was doing it from the independent way. So independent was always, I'm an only child, man. I ain't had no brothers, no sisters. And I always had to go get it one way or another from the mud. So it taught me to, hey, if you want to make something happen, you got to kick the door in. You got to go out and get it. We definitely, everybody talking about selling records out the trunk of the cars, but nobody ain't start their Friday morning off in Homestead at the flea market, dropping CDs off and probably take three, four hours of riding all the way up to Orlando, dropping CDs off on a daily basis. 
we dropped them off and we kept people about to make sure the bootleggers didn't try, you know, so we let them know quickly, here it is, record bootleg, we shutting your record store down. And I mean that. That's necessary. You talked a little bit about Miami and just how hard it can be when you're trying to get something out there. It's not like you're in New York. It's not like you're in LA, but I even feel like within the South, Miami still feels like it's at a little bit of a disadvantage because if people think of the South, maybe they'll think of what's going on in Atlanta or a bit more further out West, maybe they'll think about what's going on in Houston. But Miami still doesn't get that same level of love. Why do you think that is? Man, I think that people think it's the glitz and glamour. They love, they think Miami and South Beach, you know, you let everybody else, they really in their mind think that, you know, we just walk around half naked on the beach all the time and enjoy life. They ain't like that over there, man. We got to really go get it. It's hard for me to see people not understand that. Uh, just on my label alone, you take Trick Dead, Trina, Rick Ross, Plies. Those names alone carry weight. They don't sold millions and millions of record. And then not the name names like DJ Khaled and Kodak and everybody. So it's a lot of artists that have definitely sold millions of records and put South Florida on the map. I definitely take my hat off to Atlanta. Atlanta has did wonderful things, but Atlanta has people from all over. You know, you really think about it. A lot of those people don't even be from Atlanta. They just go and sit in Atlanta because it's got a nice hub for South, for music. So I understand, and that's why they consider it like the South. But here in Miami, man, we at the bottom for real. It's called the bottom of the map for a reason. And uh, everybody got to go out and get it. Khaled struggled from a DJ, you know what I'm saying, to be able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish. And Rick Ross, it took years to get every damn hustling and get his career off the ground and get it going. And Plows from a small city called Fort Myers, Florida. So I like to surround myself around entrepreneurs and people that want to make something happen. You know what I'm saying? I wonder how much of that initial impression was because of Uncle Luke and Two Live Crew and the type of music they were putting out, and then therefore everyone thinking that that is what the culture is about. Obviously, you showed it's much more broad than that, but I wonder if some of that stigma, some of that impression is still what sticks with Miami rap. Listen, so we first tried to put out Trick first album called Based on the True Story, and Trick had came up with a successful record called Scott with Luke, and the retails, the distributor, Everybody wanted booty shaking music. And we like, listen, we love booty shaking. That's what our culture was built up of. But Trick Daddy is way more than just booty shaking music. And believe it or not, I tell this story to everybody. I don't like getting involved in artists that want to invest in their career because I bought my distribution. I went through three distribution companies. I had a company called Warlock Records and Red Distribution and Sony. And they wouldn't put out Trick Daddy's first album because it wasn't that music that they was known for. What they knew South Florida about is shaking going 100 BPMs a minute. And Trick was talking about real life stuff. I said, I put $50,000 up for the first distribution there. So before they even thought about putting a Trick Daddy record in the stores, they wanted to make sure that it was no returns. A lot of people know about returns, but that record on sale, it might cost you a dollar to send it to Peaches at the time or whatever store it was at the time. It might cost a dollar to send it, but to send that record back is $3. So a lot of the strippers was worried about if these records don't sell, they're going to return and not come back. So, you know, I had to put up $50,000 to get a distribution deal. But I'll tell you one thing, boy, them pre-orders came out. And before the album released, they called me back and said, Ted, you can come pick up your money because your pre-orders is over 100,000 pre-orders. You know, I ain't bragging nothing, but I told them, like, you got to just trust your boy sometimes and listen. I mean, it's a shame that you had to put up that much money because they should have had the faith from the jump. But obviously it paid off in the end. How many more times in your career did you have to do things like that? Did you have to buy distribution in the future after proving that point? Whatever it takes to get there, do it again and again and do it even better. 
Don't never stop. A lot of people, they get a record there. Oh, I made it. I'm good. No, 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 you didn't. That means you got to go harder because now you're in a whole nother category. You're in the pros. Now you got to go and compete and show you're an all-star amongst others. So I tell everybody, whatever it took for you to get there, now it's time to take and put this pressure on even harder to let everybody know you're here to stay. You ain't no one-hit wonder. You ain't here for a minute. You're here to really set a tone and provide for your family and take it to a whole nother level. So I tell everybody, after we ain't the deal, man, I still had to go out and show distributors, even down to Atlantic Records. Hey, I know you don't want to rush and put out this single. So what am I going to do? I'm going to leak the record. I'm going to let the streets show you that it's working. And then the radio stations will start calling you and tell you, well, this record right here burning up. The record might be out three, four months, but I already know my market. I know what it will take. And I used to make people force and give me a release date because they might have their schedule set up that they have these releases already. Well, I need that number one spot. So, you know, I go bump somebody's release and, and force their hand to put records out. I did that many a times with different distributors. I didn't wait on their schedule or whatever they had in mind. I had to do what I had to take to make sure my artists and me were successful. That makes a lot of sense. And you clearly understanding what it takes to break a record, understanding what you do to leak the record ahead of time. That's so important. What were the things that you would look for that you would know that the record was going to be a hit, was going to be successful? Because I'm sure there's the instinct things about seeing how people react when they're hearing the music outside, seeing what it's like in the club, seeing what it's like when it rings out in the street. But were there other data points or were there other things that you were using to use as your leverage or to use as your proof when you're going to those meetings? Yeah, you know that record when you can't sleep, you wake up the next morning, you still singing that record? That's my gauge. I love to hear that record. It's in your head and you can't stop it. And you call the radio station and say, hey, I want to hear that record that goes, uh, 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 uh. you don't even know what it said. You, you remember that melody in your head? Those are some of the things that get me. I'm a guy that go by the, I'm a hook guy. Now, I hate to tell everybody, uh, lyrical content, especially that don't even work no more. But I feel like if you're a lyrical content, that's to let another rapper know, don't play with me, boy. I beat you down with bars out the bar. But what's going to actually get you to go around the world and sell records is dumbing that record down to the smallest degree, but people cannot forget that melody in their head and that they'll be able to take you miles around the world, man. So that's something that catches me. That's powerful. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you hear so much of that now. That's what you were saying years ago. That's the same strategy I feel like folks are trying to push now when they're talking about what is that hook or what is that line they can put into some record that's gonna blow up on TikTok or whatever service. So much of this has been true for decades. Now it feels like people are finally catching up, but you've been on that move for a minute. You got to get your foot in the door. Now, once you get in the door, you can show people, hey, you thought that just because the record said every day I'm hustling, 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 you thought that was it. But he was telling you he was the boss then. He let you know right then and there. But see, all they heard was hustling, hustling, hustling. That's all they heard. But with that one record, what door that was able to kick in so many more doors. So sometimes you just have to dumb it down a little bit so everybody can understand it and capture everybody's attention. And then you bring them into your world and show them, Hey, this is bigger than just a record. This the boss. That's just one example. What I liked about what you did, of course, we're talking about what Rick Ross is able to do with hustling. He ended up having his deal with Def Jam. I know Trino was with EMI. Trick was with Atlantic. So it was an interesting model because so often what we see is independent label like yours either has a straight up distribution with the whole outlet set for the entire label or it becomes an imprint under the broader system. But you played it differently where each artist kind of had their own lane. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that decision played itself out? I'm a sponge. 
I like to get in rooms and different meetings and learn from each different company. So the reason I did my distribution that way, you know, I was back there, you heard about Master P got this 80-20 then, right? So when it came down to me to start my distribution, you know who I called? The attorney that got Master P that 80-20 deal. I called him about one o'clock in the morning, Miami time. I guess it was probably what, 10 p.m. over there, your time? And I said, you know what? Hey, man, you don't know me. I got every label in their mama in my office at 1 a.m. trying to do a deal with me. I need that Master P deal. How can you get me the Master P deal? Because I told everybody, I'm not doing no production deal. I work too hard for that. I went out and showed them, man. You see how much money I got last month through the pipeline? And I'm showing you money that I got. Every third day, I was getting paid for my distributor. I'm getting almost $200,000 a month right now, and I'm just starting. So what you going to do, try to go get my money that's in the pipeline? Not going to happen. If you're going to be in business with me, I'm keeping the money that's in the pipeline. I need 80% of my money to me. I'm helping you build your brand by being affiliated with me. See, a lot of people misunderstand that. When you selling and you got the power, you let them know, listen, I'm going to help Atlantic Records and whoever else that I decide to get in business with. I'm bringing value to you because I'm going to keep putting the hit records on the board and I'm going to keep putting these records out there. You need to, at the end of the year, you got to say how many number ones you got. So I'm going to give you a couple of number ones, but in return, I need 80% of my money. I was able to get an 80-20 deal back then and on my last one. And that was just studying the game, you know what I'm saying? Learning from people like Jay Prince. And like I said, some of the things Luther Campbell did and Master P was living in front of me, what he was able to do as well. So I took that part of the game coming from the South. I looked at the people from around me in the South that was successful and say, hey, that's what I want to do. I want to see how I can control my masters and how can I make majority of the money. And I was able to go out and get that done. I feel like that was a whole wave of deals that happened. There was your deal. It was Master P's deal. It was Birdman's deal with cash money. Like Everyone was like, no, we're not going to do these straight up deals. We want the ownership of the masters. We want to have a majority of the split coming through. And it clearly paid off for all of you. That's why all of you in your own individual ways are still doing work out here and aren't relying on the industry the way that, to be frank, some of your peers that didn't do those deals are right now. Yeah, you know, some people just bought into the glitz and glamour and they just wanted to get a video and wanted somebody to pay for their record to be on the radio and all that. No, no, it's more than that. I tell everybody, we forget the word called business. It's called the music business for a reason. And I tell my... I don't even call them artists. I call them my business partners. My job is to protect your interests and try to make sure I conduct great business for you. And you go ahead and be a great MC or whatever you choose to do. But I want to make sure that I'm educating them, explaining to them what we're doing and try to help them be successful. And I think one of the best signs that you would put in that work is what people say about slip and slide after they've worked with you. And at least from my knowledge, whether it's Trina, Trick Daddy, Ross, Plies, None of them have ever had anything bad to be like, oh, Ted Lucas never treated me right, or this didn't happen, or I never had any of these issues come up. And to be honest, it's pretty rare because so many artists, just because of this way the industry is, have had those types of instances. But it's been good to see that the artists still feel like even if they want to move on and go do their own thing, like I know when Ross finished his deal, fulfilled his contract with you, he wanted to go start Maybach Music Group. And it's like, all right, bet, do you. But there's still that connection there respect and that's what i like to see no that's definitely important for me man i tell everybody rick ross fulfilled his agreement with me and he was able to go start his record company and listen i want you to do that i went to the school of ted Knox, ted lucas and was able to learn and go ahead and earn and go ahead and start your own business and, and be able to go and, and help other artists build and do what they got to do that's what it's all about growth so 
I'm definitely into that. And I want to see artists continue to grow and be successful. And that's important to me because I don't want you to stop and I don't want you to get stuck. I want you to win. That's important. I ain't trying to hold nobody back. Yeah, definitely not now. If you think about the careers that you've managed, and obviously we named the artists before so many of them came up at a certain era in music where the industry is so different than what it is now, but you still got artists. You're still signing artists. What is it like navigating the career for those newer artists? Are you using some of those same moves and things that you had done decades before with people we'd already named, or are you switching it up a little bit? You got to switch it up a little bit because the game has changed. So what I am, I told them I'm a sponge. I don't want to be a dinosaur. So I sit down with the young people and we sit down and come up with strategies and game plans while I use a little bit of what I've been able to learn on my side and put what they have together. And we come up with game plans to make sure it's successful. And we work together as a team. I'm definitely not the one. I know it all. I got it. I didn't know that ain't me. Things have changed and things have turned a lot. So I make sure I sit down with them and hear their point of view. And we sit down and we come up with game plans together. Because if you got followers on social media, you're doing something right. You know what I'm saying? I want to know how do we tap into that. I want to do is put gas on your followers and help you get more and help you gain more fans where we can sell some merchandise at these concerts and get you on tours and have you go around the world and do different things like that. So I got some great new artists and I feel great about them. I feel strong about them. Music is my passion, man. I got multiple other businesses, but music is the one I call it the magnet. That's the magnet to make other people want to do business and open up many more doors and opportunities come my way. And you mentioned wanting to put gas on them when things are doing well, if they got the followers. What does that look like? Like, What are some of the things you do to put that gas or put that fuel behind them? They strike the match and I put the gas on it. So you basically got to show me that the record got a buzz or that people are responding to it. Or you might have put a clip up on social media and the response was there. And to be honest, before we even decide to put the album out or decide to put a single out, all I need you to do is just show me where you want to go and I'll follow you and help you get it done. I do believe I have a vision and a blueprint on how to get it to the top. And I got some relationships around in the music business that can help us accomplish some things and you know, get on some great playlists and different things like that and, and try to take it as far as they got the capabilities of going. So what I like them to do is I'm following you, man. Your job is to get off that couch, get off your butt, get out that studio and show me that people like the record. Show me that people want to buy your merchandise. Show me these things, and I'm going to go try to find the best deal possible and get you in the right situation where we can make revenue together and earn some money. Are there any new or creative things that the artists are trying to do? Like, is anyone trying to be active on TikTok or Trill or any of these little challenges they got? What are some of the unique things they might be doing? There's so many different ones. They definitely doing TikTok campaigns that's working for a lot of my artists as well. We just got Sebastian Michael on Artists on the uh, Rise on the iHeart. Uh, I think that's the name of Artists on the Rise. Something like that. iHeart just placed him on that for the month of March. I'm excited for that. He has his own style. Sebastian Mike, I tell everybody, that's my uh, Maxwell. That's my music where I want to listen to. He's the Maxwell of the music business for me. He give me a little bit of that D'Angelo feel. So that's something that I'm excited about and what he's been able to bring to the table. Let me think of some other things that these different, different things that have caught my attention. Besides a TikTok campaign, man, they might just go out and get money. I mean, you give out food in their community. That's something that let me know. Like, if you're giving back in your community, I want to put light on that because some artists don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? And especially if you're doing something positive, man. For me, I would have been business with people that I can help. If I can help your career go in the right direction, if I ain't doing no good to help you, I don't want to be in business with you. If I can't help take it to another level or put some positive in your life and keep the negative around, it's easy to get in trouble. It's easy to go do something stupid. So I want to make sure we're doing something positive and going in the right direction. I hear that. 
And yeah, you mentioned with Sebastian, of course, you want to try to get that Maxwell, that D'Angelo vibe. And working with singers, that at least to date hasn't necessarily been the main focus of what people know for Slip and Slide, right? It's Plies, it's Trick Daddy and, and Trina. How has that been from a shift perspective? What are some different things that you got to do with R&B singers as opposed to the rappers? It's a little slower. It ain't as fast as everybody would do. But when you hit it right, you hit it right. And you can be very successful with it. And you have a long career. We still got some urban AC stations out there that still support real urban music like that. And for me, I ain't 21 no more, man. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear something that I still appreciate. I love doing business and being in business with people that I could say, I really enjoy your art, man. I really enjoy your crap. I ain't just doing it for the money or nothing. I just really believe in you as the artist. And that's the kind of things that make me want to get involved. When I hear uh, my artists like Tanir come up with some R&B records that I can say, boy, it's a young girl need to hear that record. It's a young girl that can relate to that record, you know? And that's important to me that I be able to give those records out. So over the years, I probably got a little older now and understand the beauty of making music. So I try to make sure I do what urban music is all about. You have your R&B side, you have your rap side. So I try to give a little bit of both on the label. And that shift has been interesting because I look at the way hip hop has been the past 20, 30 years, 20, 30 years ago, I would say that your R&B artists could be just as big as the hip hop artists are, right? Like wherever you saw Usher, you saw Ludacris or whoever was having the hit records. Now things are a little different where I feel like hip hop is still just as top tier as it has been, but your R&B has almost become more of this niche focus and it doesn't necessarily have that same mainstream vibe. What's your take on that? And how has that been for you with dealing with artists? Hey, man, you know, it's crazy you say that because I tell everybody, but these kids don't want to make no babies no more. These kids don't want to get a girl ready to go on the way to the movies, you know? These kids don't, don't understand, man. When you get out the movies or taking a girl on a date, you can't be playing that rap in the evening at 10 p.m. You got to play something good on the way home and make her think about it. And y'all singing that song together, you might get a kiss when you put out the car and give it back to her parents. But I definitely feel like that music is still important to these people, man. They don't understand. We grew up, you knew, like, when that sun go down, the music might change a little bit when you got a girl in the car. These kids still around here playing rap at one o'clock in the morning, man. Like, I definitely think it's important, man. You know, take some of these males and some of these, these guys and make them a little sensitive, man. You know what I'm saying? Let's give them some music. Let them sing to their lady a little bit. So I think that that's important. And you're 100% right. We don't have that no more. You know, and I'm like, dog, when do you guys ever you know, have a romantic time in your life, man? I think y'all need that. Maybe y'all to stop fighting and killing each other, you know? So... I think that that's important that we promote R&B, urban music to the fullest. And I think that don't let these people come tell you about R&B slowing down, this and that. We know what it is, but we got to still stick behind it, man. Especially during this time during the pandemic, man. Let let these people have some relaxed music, enjoy these, take a little stress off their body. You know what I'm saying? Burn a candle and relax yourself. I hear that. It's like there was a whole generation that didn't grow up seeing an R&B singer in the pouring rain on their knees singing <laughs> to somebody about something real. That just doesn't happen in that same type of way. Veins popping out their head in the middle of the video. <laughs> they mean it. They give me all the passion to singing this record. What happened to that? Exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You grew up in that area. And these kids, you don't see that no more. Come on, man. We need that. You know what I'm saying? I think it'll definitely... Cussing these males stop fighting and, and going through the problems they're going through. There's got to be some lover boys out there. There's some lovers out there. Come on, y'all stop acting so tough and, and let it come out. Everybody, you know, I know some guys like him singing on their records and they doing the hook and they rapping. Boy, you really wanted to be a singer, but it ain't cool to be a singer, so you want to be a rapper right now because there's nowhere in the world you sung that hook that good 
and rap that good, and you knew that you had that talent in you. But I understand you just didn't want to be an R&B singer. You wanted to be cool, so you went ahead and sing on the record and something you could sing, and you went ahead and rap. There's nothing wrong with that, but I understand. Make half and half. Do half R&B and half rock on the album or something. It's funny, too, because we had this whole era lately of these R&B stars that are trying to prove themselves like, no, like, I can fight, too. Don't get it twisted. Like, <laughs> what's the boy named Trey Songs at the football game recently? Trey wasn't playing, boy. He put that serious headlock on that police officer, boy. You hear me? Boy, I ain't gonna lie to you, boy. He had that pit bull grip on the police. I said, well, Trey, hey, Trey ain't let you know, boy. I've been working out, officer. Definitely. That was, that was funny to me. Yeah, me too. And the funniest thing, I mean, I shouldn't even say this as a joke, but he lived to see another day after doing that, man. Praise up. That was shocking to me because I say, where are those backup officers that's coming? Because, boy, he couldn't call for backup and nothing. Like, I really was like, hold up, Trey. You finna go out of here like this? You know, and I thought the backup officer would have came in, guns blazing and shooting. And Trey had that serious, he wasn't smiling. He wasn't talking or nothing. He had that serious look on with that strong headlock. Why well, tell everybody he had that pit bull grip on the police? I couldn't believe that, man. And to see him survive that and make it out, I thought on the way to the station he might have got a little beat down or something, but I was shocked to see that. Trey let him know. He let, he let some artists know neither. Don't play with me, boy. You see what I did to the office? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, man. I'm going to have to post a link to this in the show notes. I think most of the people listening have probably seen this, but if you haven't, I'll post a link to the video that we're talking about. This is at the AFC Championship game. Crazy. Crazy. Switching gears a bit, I know that recently you had launched a music festival called Superfest, and this is your opportunity to bring a live stage, a live performance for a lot of the artists that are doing their thing. How has that been growing and building an event like that in Miami? You know what it was? I did Superfest because I felt like the Super Bowl was coming to my community. You know, they go for the Super Bowl in the middle of an urban community called Miami Gardens. But I was trying to say, what are you doing to get back to my community? And that was something that bothered me. So I sat down with the Super Bowl committee and said, hey, so you're going to come here, play a football game in my hood, Miami Gardens, which is Carrick City. But what are you leaving? How are you giving something back to my community? How are we being a part of the Super Bowl? How are we enjoying it? First of all, we can't afford the tickets to go to the game in our community. But you ain't got nothing happening where my community can get a chance to go experience the Super Bowl experience and that bothered me so i took it upon myself and brought a festival in and i wanted to bring some artists to the hood you know what i'm saying and allow them to get a chance to experience it and be honest you know it was a urban festival but super bowl had kansas city it wasn't as many urban folks that came down and we had san francisco and y'all ain't coming way from the west coast way out here to south florida so it was a good experience everything and then right after that we ran into the COVID, man and now we still in it so I tried to base it around the Super Bowl. I think it's important, man, that urban community get more involved in things like the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? You think about it. You know and I know in our community, we're here something like the Super Bowl, and we won't even get involved. We won't even go. We won't even attend because you feel like you can't afford it. And I think that's something that's not true. And we need to make some things affordable for our people to feel like they're part of the Super Bowl. You might don't go to the game, but you and Grandma and everybody got a chance to participate in the Super Bowl some type of way and enjoy it yourself. I hope that other entrepreneurs that's out there in other urban communities, man, if something like that come to your city, I think the kids in, in the schools need to get involved. I think the schools need to take kids on field trips. These kids need to experience that kind of stuff and get involved. So I took it upon myself and did a Superfest, man, and 
I had the kids come out on a field trip, get involved, have some NFL players come talk to them. Had a great festival, man. Cardi B came out and performed. The Amigos came out and performed. And I was able to take open field, man, and bring a real festival to my community. It was a great experience, man. I had the, behind, the city behind me and my community behind me. We was able to give our city something that they deserved, and they just didn't feel like, oh, the Super Bowl here, and I'm not a part of it. That's a really good point. It makes me think about the Super Bowl that we had had here in San Francisco a few years back. I forget what year it was exactly, but it was the year that the Panthers had played the Broncos. This is when Cam Newton was playing. San Francisco was technically the host city. They played the game down in Santa Clara, but it was like two different worlds because they had this Super Bowl city that was in the nicer part of San Francisco right along the water, but it really wasn't near a lot of what was happening in the city. So you could go about your everyday life, this and this, and you really couldn't be a part of it. So I'm glad to hear that stuff like that happens because I know that San Francisco is definitely a city that has its challenges, but Miami more so, you're choosing that city because of the culture, because of the vibes, and you want to make sure that you're investing in that. So it's good to see that you're doing that. And hopefully this can continue on once we're done with COVID. I'm sure it's difficult to plan something like this with the unknown in the future, but hopefully it can continue. I think they did a great job in bringing Jay-Z to be a part of that Super Bowl committee and how to get it involved. I know this year, because of COVID, they can't do it, but I hope that Jay-Z and the Super Bowl committee really put efforts in getting the urban community more involved in the Super Bowl. I think, you know, there's one of the biggest platforms that we have. Commercials are crazy. People really spend a lot of money and time in watching the Super Bowl. Let the urban community get more involved in the Super Bowl. And if I'm wrong, y'all tell me how I'm wrong about it, but I really feel like if you're going to go and put the Super Bowl in these communities, make sure everybody get a chance to enjoy the Super Bowl, not just people who can afford to go to the Super Bowl. Make it affordable to everybody. Did you make a push at all to try to get any slip and slide artists or anyone you worked with to be part of the halftime show? Because I think the year you did it, that was last year, we had J-Lo and Shakira, right? I'm going to say I was a little late. You see, they brought Jay-Z in and try to do it. And I really felt like, listen... Trick Daddy had some of the biggest records. Let's take it to the house. Let's go. Would have been a great halftime performance. And I tried to plead my case on it, but I'll be honest, I'm not blaming nobody. I take responsibility. I was late to the party. As you know, the Super Bowl plans two years in the head of planning to get in that Super Bowl together. So all you entrepreneurs and entertainers that's in the music business and the Super Bowl coming to your area, when they first announce it, get involved right away and let plead your case of how you feel that you should be involved you would definitely give a great halftime performance to the people. You know, you got clean versions of your music, so they don't think you got clean versions. You do have clean versions of your music as well. And I think it's important. Listen, they choose J-Lo. Let me say this correctly where I don't fit nobody, but uh, J-Lo is from New York, people. She might have moved to Miami. She did a great job. She busted the butt and gave a great performance. But I feel like if you're going to do a Super Bowl in the city again, Get somebody from that city to go out and perform and give them a great halftime show. And I think we should have did a medley. You know, I'd have took them back from Luke. And I would have had J-Lo a part of it, but she wouldn't have been the whole halftime show. I would have did a medley where everybody's involved. So if a Super Bowl is in your city, people, get involved. Time to announce Super Bowl coming to, wherever it's coming to, get involved. Get somebody involved and put your name in a hat right away so they understand that you're interested. Play your clean versions of everywhere in the meeting as well, let people know that you want to be involved. So I take responsibility. I was a little late on that and it did bother me, but nothing I can do about it. Just learn from your mistakes and keep it moving. I hear that. It would have been dope to see. I feel like the medley would have been really strong. Right. 
And I'm not saying it ain't had to be on the urban. It could have had the Latin feel to it. We know how to do it, you know. You've seen Will Smith come down here and do his Miami record on South Beach. Would have gave you best of both worlds on the halftime show, but we learn from our mistakes. It's interesting because I think that there's more cities that are getting a chance to host it. Some cities got a little bit more culture than others, but Miami is one of the more popular cities that they've done it in at least a few times. So I'm hoping at least one of these times, because even when they had the Atlanta one, they had Big Boy come through. He wasn't the main act, but he was at least able to come through, do a couple songs and then bounce. I respected that. They get his little piece. It wasn't a lot, but they did show respect that it ain't just country music in Georgia. It's more to it than they was able to show both sides. And I think Atlanta did a great job. I take my hat off to Atlanta because I was waiting to see that. When I seen that, I'm like, oh, yeah, Miami's going to be the same. And they already made their decision by the time we've seen that. And I didn't like that. But Miami will get a shot again in the next three or four years. And uh, I don't know. I might be DJing in that one. I want to make sure we're a part of that Super Bowl. Nice. Well, I know they got it in Tampa this year. Um, of course, the weekend's the main act. I don't know if anyone else is going to come through. But yeah, I was wondering if Plies or someone like that was going to try to slide through. So it's funny, if you take a look at the meeting when the NFL sat down with Jay-Z, Plow's name came up. Oh, I do remember that meeting. So, you know, the culture know who is the superstar in these cities. And Plow's is the superstar, you know, in the city of Tampa. But I'm going to blame it on COVID this year. So we're going to get it right. We're going to get it right. You know what I'm saying? And fix this. It happened. No, definitely. Listen, interviews and things like this and us keep talking about it. The word can get on the right people and get involved. And if anybody need any help, more than happy. Give me a call. I definitely sit on that panel with you and plead our case of why we need to make sure we take the blueprint of what Atlanta did and continue to move forward with that. I want to go back to the festival piece for a minute, because even though I know your event was a bit more focused on the Super Bowl itself, I still feel like there's something there bigger overall. I know that Rolling Loud has been doing a few concerts in Atlanta year over year, and they've definitely been getting some hip hop acts to come through. I feel like there's still home for having like a set thing that is this is what is known for Atlanta the same way that you might go to you know a Coachella you might go to somewhere here like so I know Rolling Loud is doing it from like the traveling festival perspective but from the no this is something you feel the vibe of the culture and the city here correct and that's the whole purpose of doing the festival man I, I call Luther Campbell and I call the other Khaled and a couple other entertainers and tell them when people come to Miami they need to be able to experience what Miami is all about man you know Miami is one of the ones that you can go to the right, you get Latin. You go to the left, you're going to get some Jamaican food. And I want people to understand the culture of what Miami is all about. So when you come down, wherever you're at, and you want to fly down for this festival because you get a chance to experience the Miami culture in that festival. Rolling Loud does a great job, but I think it's more catered to the younger audience. We also got Jazz in the Gardens, which is a festival here that is more a jazz, older audience, probably 40 and older crowd. And they do a great job, but it's a festival in the middle now that you can come out and, and get a chance to experience and enjoy it. Some of that music that, you know, from the 90s and in the 2000s and things like that. So that's what I wanted the festival to cater in. And we definitely bring some acts in that will help the younger audience want to come out as well and see it. But the festival is something important to me. And my plan for that festival is for you to be able to come here and you go home and you had a great time and you really came. To my- I want to bring South Beach and Miami together in that festival. That's what the whole plan was. That's dope. Yeah, hopefully in the post-COVID world, it can happen. That'd be dope to see. Yeah, yeah. I'm back on it. You know, time to just we figure out when things get back to opportunities to go to concert. I think, listen, tell you something about that, though, man. Uh, people attending the Super Bowl, I think we're back on the right track and we're going in the right direction just to see crowds coming out, people getting a chance to go inside stadiums again. We're close. We should be opening back up soon.
I'm curious, what are your other business interests? Because I know that music has been your focus, but I'm sure you're doing other things, whether it's investments or different other things that you're doing. What does that look like? Man, for me, one of the most important things for me is the Ted Lucas Foundation. I put a learning center in uh, my community where I'm from, and it caters to young boys that's in my community, man. I think that that's the number one. That's my passion. That's something that's important to me. You got a lot of independent women that's trying to raise a boy and they need a man that can spend some time with them and make sure that they're, they're doing their work and make sure they learning and getting tutoring and getting the help that they need. And, you know, sometimes when that boy gets smelling himself and, you know, mom can't talk to him no more, she needs somebody to go sit down and talk to him. And I, I have put the Ted Lucas Foundation together and my foundation, that's what we cater on. That's something that's very important to me as well. It takes me conducting great business deals and getting things done so I can fund it and put money back in my community to help the youth, the males in my community. That's really great. And I mean, I just see how powerful that can be and will continue to be. Anything else that you got? So many different ones. One thing I do, man, as well is I buy homes in my city, man. I fix them up and rent them out and make them affordable to my community. And that's something that's very important to me. And I kind of realized how important real estate is. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely find houses and find situations that I would go in and fix a house back up, put it back on the market, and I'll give it affordable rent. That's something that I focus on. I've been doing that for, for many years now here in South Florida. Own a couple of recording studios that not only my artists, but other artists that up and coming that they can get in and record and do different things like that. Man, what are so many different business ventures, man. I ain't going to lie. Uh, let me think of one that's really exciting to me that uh, really get my attention. Man, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them that come to my mind. But but I am, man, listen, I tell the people here in South Florida that you bring up a business venture to me that you show me that you're putting the work into it and you wouldn't invest your own money into it. I'm open to help because I started from that way. You know what I'm saying? I was able to get from the ground. Like I said, I wasn't an intern or nothing. I really went and followed my passion and getting the right company started to get it going. And that's how the whole thing came about. That's what's up. Yeah, I love to see it. For you specifically, have you been hearing about this wave of people in tech that have been moving from San Francisco, moving to these tech hubs and trying to come through to Miami? What are your thoughts on that? Man, you're not going to believe this. You know, I had a meeting about that earlier this morning. I had a meeting with the tech people that's coming to South Florida because I feel like entertainment, music, and tech, it goes together, man. You know what I'm saying? And I told them, again, I'm big on making sure that funnels back into our urban community. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a guy in his mother's house. they got a great idea. And if you're going to be here in our community, I want to make sure that funnels back into the urban community, right? And I want to make sure that these ideas are heard, you know, and that we have a piece of the pie at that table. So I had a meeting this morning, right, with some people that we sat down and we are putting a team together. And they called me to the meeting to make sure that Brown and black people don't get overlooked in this tech thing coming to South Florida. So it's definitely coming. I already they already figure out their locations and where it's going. And I'm gonna make sure we're part of it. It's the same thing now. You're not gonna do what happened with the Super Bowl. We're gonna be involved and we're gonna have people involved. And I wanna make sure, man, if a kid goes spend and get himself in debt over a student debt and he have great ideas, I wanna make sure they're sitting at the table and get a chance to show their ideas and what they got to bring to the table. So it's funny you brought that up. My meeting this morning was in regards to that. Godly. 
So it's really getting out. So you heard about it as well. Yes, I heard about it as well. I say I heard about it mostly through Twitter. So the mayor, I think it's Mayor Suarez in Miami. So he's been active tweeting at all these tech people. And you definitely have more context than I do. But what I saw, one of the founders of PayPal, he was like, San Francisco is dead. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to Miami. Part of it was because of the taxes, but it was also because it's like warm weather, vibrant community, X, Y, and Z. So then it kind of started this wave of people being like, oh, well, we're in a pandemic. We can all work remote. Where would we work if we weren't in San Francisco, where it's expensive as hell to live? And Miami kind of became this attraction spot. And the mayor, of course, has been all about it, trying to like pump it and push it as much as possible. When I hear that, though, it makes me think of two things. One, I get the opportunity, but, and I'm glad you said this, I wanted to make sure they weren't leaving the black and brown folk behind or potentially taking advantage of the folks down in Miami that have been putting the work, making this community what it is. Because I think part of the challenge is that San Francisco itself has been a vibrant community that had its own culture. Tech came in and now tech is leaving. And are the people that weren't part of tech any better off because tech has been here in San Francisco? Like that's part of the vibe. So not only was I cautious of what has happened here in San Francisco, but wanted to make sure that that wouldn't be the vibe in Miami if these people come through and let's say five, seven years later, there's some other spot that they want to go to in the future. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. As long as I got good health and strength, I'm going to fight for that because it's very important. What you just said was powerful that it's people now in San Francisco that's left holding the bag and they didn't get a chance to get uh, opportunity from that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some people did, but again, I do not want to see the black and brown people that don't get involved in it and don't experience it. I hate to see a kid that go spend three, four years in college and come back with a college debt. And now they're not even able to pursue their career or don't even know what they want to do. And I think that it's important that we, with the tech companies and all of this coming in, that we give them opportunity, man, that they have a hub that they can come sit down with and present their ideas, you know what I'm saying? And, and see if we can help them connect the dots and get those things done. Cause I think we have some, some, uh, fantastic people that have some great ideas just like it's an artist that's making great music it's somebody that's in that tech world that's doing the same thing and they have some great ideas and i want to make sure that platform and that opportunity is there for them i ain't gonna lie to you man i'm on that so hard man i can't believe you really brought this up the same day and i didn't know you were from san francisco before we did the interview i didn't even put two and two together but listen man i'm on that that's something that's very important to me and i'm going to make sure that we do not get overlooked doing this process. I'm glad to see that. And I've been having this running joke with folks. I'm like, all the people moving to Miami, you all better bring King of Diamonds back too. Bring KODs. Don't let it happen. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's real. You know about that King of Diamonds. Huh? You're right. Now I ain't gonna lie to that. King of Diamonds can be a little distracting. You might want to get up and go to work in the morning. <laughs> you know, so uh, Miami, we go to six in the morning. You know, they, they, the strip clubs and the clubs don't stop it at midnight or at two in the morning. We go until the sun come up down here. So stay out of King of Diamonds and, and places like that. Man. Stay focused. Stay focused. <laughs> oh, man. Ted, we're getting to the tail end of the interview. But before we let you go, what are the things that people should be checking for if they want to follow the work that you're doing, the work you're doing with Slip and Slide? Where should people check? You know, definitely go to slipandslide.com, man. Go on there. You see what we're doing over there with all the new artists that we got going on. Like I said, I'm, today was the day I got news that uh, Sebastian was nominated to be uh, up to come artist on iHeart for the whole month of May, I mean, March and April. That was great. So you go on there and see what we're doing with a lot of new artists and see some of the things that we got accomplished there. And then go to uh, 
tedlucasfoundation.org and see what I'm doing in the community. And that's going to tie back to the tech world as well. Because like I say, I want to make sure the young kids in our high school, that they're part of it and they see what's going on there as well, man. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, man. I've been blessed and fortunate to do something that I love every day I wake up and, and I help get out and accomplish things, man. I ain't worked a day in my life, man. Love it. This is great, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, all right? All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.